everyone, and welcome to the final episode of this season, my quarantine pals. What a wild ride it's been. I'm not going to mince words. We are all in for a long haul here in the United States and around the world. As of this taping, many of us here in the United States have already found out that we will not be returning to in-person teaching for the rest of the school year, while many of us receive news that we'll still be teaching for at least another month of distance learning. For sure, it seems that none of us knows what is going to be happening in the fall when the next school year would normally start, and we for sure don't know what changes face us whenever we do return to our classrooms. One thing that we do know, nothing will be the same. And that can be scary and certainly overwhelming. So in today's Keeping It Real, we're going to spend some time talking about teaching in the age of COVID. And we're going to start with what is on so many people's minds, the challenges that come with this new world of distance learning. And then we're going to move on to the things that surprised many of us in a good way about distance learning. So... A while ago, I asked people on our Fire Robin Fundamentals Facebook page to share what things they were finding frustrating about teaching from home. Of course, you can imagine that there were lots of comments. I felt what I would do is just read through the comments. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm hoping that, as happened to me as I read through them, you'll find yourself in one or many of these thoughts that people shared and that will at least give you the feeling that you're not alone. And at the very least, I hope it is interesting to hear what's going on in different music programs. So with great thanks to those who took the time to write, here are their thoughts, starting with the things they found most challenging. Here's the first thing somebody wrote, and that is, the constant changes are a challenge. Every time I feel comfortable with what is expected of me, something else gets pushed on us. And somebody immediately answered with, I will second this. My school is in our second week of distance learning, and the expectations keep changing. At first, the parents wanted more live Zoom classes with teachers, including specialists. And now parents are saying their kids are on Zoom too much, and we don't have time to get all the work done. So we are getting ready to maybe pivot again. Another member of the page wrote, Specialists wrote some good, easier, shorter lessons for students. Last week was our first week. But somehow no one except us even knew we were doing lessons. (laughs) So we received no feedback from students until this week, when classroom teachers started posting our things to their Google Classrooms and Seesaw. We have a school distance learning hub someone made on Google Sites, but it seems few families are even referencing that, despite everything being linked there. I just wish there was a bit better communication is all, but don't I always. Sister, don't I know what you're talking about. Here's another comment. I have multiple challenges. First, not knowing if my lessons are effective. I got a picture today of students enjoying my first tips video and a song from a student in Chrome Lab. It was great. Chord changes made sense. Snare on two and four. I didn't teach her that. But in a Title I school, I worry about the students I'm not reaching. I just don't have the immediate feedback I do from teaching class. Two, wrangling my two toddlers while working. Three, wondering if I'm actually doing enough. Four, wondering when it will all be over. 
and another member wrote, not feeling like I'm doing enough for my students, thinking other music teachers are doing way cooler stuff than me. Not a good focus, I know. And also not really feeling like I know what's going on. I feel like someone's going to say, you should have been doing this, even though I know that's not a true thought. And another teacher writes, working from home when parenting your own children. Number two, not agreeing with the idea that three to five-year-olds can even learn from screens and yet trying to be engaging with them nonetheless. And number three, low response from students and parents. Another teacher wrote, I know that I will be able to get my kids caught up next year from what we missed this year literacy-wise, and that's due to the great foundation laid by Dr. Feyerabend. I am confident in my teaching style and the relationships I have with my students. However, teaching a performance-based class like choir, I worry that I might lose students next year due to the missed performance opportunities we had this spring. I do a lot of recruitment encouraging and encouraging of students in the spring, and I have missed out on my typical ways. And here's another comment. Number one, connecting with students and giving feedback in meaningful ways. Two, feeling the emptiness of not making music with others. Our students must feel that too. Oh, that one's tough. Three, knowing I have already gained the COVID-19 when I look back at my film lessons. I think that means 19 pounds, which I'm happy to say I doubt is true. Then another comment, the internal struggle of thinking about conversational solfege units and how it isn't fair to plow forward when less than 50% of students are engaging with anything I post. Uh, and somebody replied to that. My thoughts are that those that are participating love advancing. But when we go back and have to inevitably step backward, they will be the leaders and can help the whole group move forward. The next comment was, my biggest worry is adapting instruction in September for the disparity between those that were able to do the online learning and those that were not. My current plan is that those who were able will be the leaders when I realistically start where we left off. I like that attitude. And somebody else wrote, I struggle with feeling like support staff. My admin and district are focusing, rightly I think, on keeping students fed and preventing backslide on major subjects. We do well with the population we have, but they require a great deal of hand-holding through this process, and no one seems to have brain space for what is considered an extra. I wish I was valued enough to provide any content, but I had to push to have things included from my team at both my schools. And yet another teacher wrote, I'm worried about not knowing which kids are getting my stuff. I'm adding Pear Deck to my slides this week to see if I can get any feedback. It's just been really hard emotionally for me to want to feel connection with my students, but have no certainty of it. That is a tough one, <laughs> kind of like you're teaching into the void. Another teacher wrote, mine is simply internet issues. Oy. Oh, I feel this one. I went to my parents' house to upload things only to find that the parents couldn't download them. This is not a question, it's just a frustration. Then somebody wrote, mine is towing the line between wanting to teach and assess them and not overwhelm them. This is a big one for all of us. 
Also, some students and families putting core academics as priority and not doing the music materials. Somebody else writes, not having clear expectations from administrators about what they want me to post, balancing fun activities while still using quality musical examples and supporting what we've already taught them. That one hits deep. Another teacher wrote, just trying to cope with lack of participation or care about my subject. I feel like I'm a non-essential employee. Being reassigned to support classroom teachers and run guided reading groups because only literacy and numeracy are allowed to be on, sent home, or taught for K-6. to And not knowing if I will have a job in September. Woof, that one is rough. Somebody responded, I feel you. Arts teachers at my school are having their hours cut back. Oh, and I'm sure mine will be too. Feeling undervalued and grappling with technology whilst looking after my own family is tough. And that one I feel I have a very good friend at my school and my heart just goes out to her because she has two kids, a second grader and a kindergartner. And while she's teaching live, she's also supposed to be helping both her kids uh, and they're just not independent enough to do the work on their own. So that's just incredibly difficult. So my hat's off to all the parents with younger children uh, who need a lot of guidance. Another teacher wrote, I have about 60% participation with anything I've created for my students. I feel like I can't move forward and I've taken huge step backwards. But this has also given me the chance to see who really gets it. Apparently, some kids were not ready to move on from CS Unit 1 or are just very confused because I'm not there to repeat myself a million times. I've actually had that same thought uh, in the past couple weeks when I'm teaching. This is me, Missy, saying that. Uh, I know this feeling of, you know, did I just not teach them well? Is there some big lag in what we're doing uh, because we're online, but what's going on? Why do some kids really seem as though they've never heard of the things that I'm talking about? So I get it. <sighs> I've always viewed it as an addition extension to a lesson and not the way to deliver a lesson. Oh, she's talking about technology. I guess next year we should be rather good at navigating technology so I can use it in my classroom, right? That was good. Um, somebody else writes... The uncertainty of our ensembles. Will we have a concert? Will we not? Do I continue on with rep or work on other skills that we never have time to squeeze in? And then another teacher. Our K-2 students do not have school-issued devices, so trying to figure out what they will be able to do and access without technology. And another comment. When we do go back, what does social distancing look like in a music classroom, which is a community? Do students refuse to hold hands during folk dances or activities? How does this affect the class environment? These are great questions, and people are starting to really talk about this now. Another teacher wrote, How to leave activities and instruction uh, that are fun, 20 to 30 minutes in length, keeping with the curriculum, but not too much work, and will most likely be worked on after all other course subject work is completed. Another teacher writes, my biggest challenge is learning to use all this technology. I had not even used Google Slides at all before now. And the hours upon hours upon hours it is taking to create meaningful lessons that correlate with the curriculum. 
weekly lesson videos, Google slide presentations with links, audio clips, videos, interactive application and assessment activities. All to learn that today they're making all specials optional. So do I keep busting my butt? Yes, I do. I'm glad that I don't work for people, but for the Lord and those kids. My biggest frustration, I'm ready to go back. I know we can't push it, but it seems hardly anyone around here is sick, which is a great thing, but uh, I miss them so much and want so badly to share the stuff I'm learning with them live and in person. I miss singing with them, playing, seeing their little eyes light up, hearing them laugh. Not to mention, I don't think I have ever sat this much and worked this long on a computer, constant emails and text notifications. I miss real life. This doesn't seem real. So as I read through that, and I'm sure as you listen to it, there's a lot of feelings that come and I shared uh, some of them with you. But the thing that keeps kind of rising to, to the top of my mind most often is that everyone is sharing this common struggle. And that is the fear that comes with wading into unknown territory. Uh, it's like we're all first year teachers again, right? Not to mention the fact that there are actual first year teachers going through this too. And my heart goes out to you guys who are brand new to the profession. What a way to enter. It's crazy. And certainly this is not how it has been and everything is changing and we're all going through this together. You know, in this way, grappling with distance learning is an equalizer, making very experienced teachers feel just as in over our heads as a new teacher. And now it's compounded by the fact that there's even talk about some schools not opening in the fall or maybe not even opening in the fall. And then the next question about what is school going to look like whenever we do return? But if you've heard me address this before, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say this, but I think it bears repeating. We have and we are going to go through some very tumultuous, frustrating, confusing times. There's no doubt that at some point, or sadly for some of you, constantly, you're going to face something that feels insurmountable. Maybe you're being asked to create a performance online or uh, meet every student that you teach sometime during the week in a way that just does not seem reasonable to you. Or maybe you're expected to run a club or teach or assist in a subject that is not your own. The question, as always, is how are we going to handle it? For me, there's really just one perspective. Uh, what I try to do is not think too far in the future unless I absolutely have to for planning or decision making. And just do what I can do. Uh, and I want to not just survive in my life. I want to thrive I want to be able to feel joy and I want to relax and I want to breathe and I want to be with my family and I want time by myself. And so what I need to do is look at my job and think we're in a global pandemic, Missy. So cut yourself some slack and think about the reality of what's going on. What do my students need most from me? And what I think they need most from me is a sense of comfort and connection. Uh, I think there are other things to consider. I'm not saying those are the only things. I'm certainly not saying that teaching music is not important. But I have to tell you that 
I don't have a doubt of the importance of music in the lives of my students. I don't have a second where I fear that music will not be viewed as important. I feel like it's easy for me to just step back and say, this is an unusual time. Everybody is struggling. And I mean everybody, even the annoying administrators, uh, the people in government who seem to be making dumb decisions every day and some good decisions. Everybody is kind of scrambling. So the question I have to ask myself is, how can I strike balance? Um, I just don't have the mental wherewithal to allow feelings of guilt or perfectionism to fester for long. If I feel like I look at another teacher and I think, oh my word, that's amazing what they're doing. I have to just kind of step back and say, good for them, but I can't do that. Conversely, if there's something that I want to do for my students that's a little bit extra, I don't want to feel bad about that either. If I want to do something amazing, then what I have to ask myself is, do I have the energy to do this? And if the answer is yes, then I'm going to do it. And I have to tell you, I complained at first about having to teach my students uh, live every day, but that has actually been the biggest blessing in this whole thing. And doesn't that make sense? Because a big part of why I love this job is human connection and interaction. And just the ability to say to my students, music is something that can bring you joy. It can bring you comfort. It can help you express pain. It can help you express joy. And I can talk to them about it in a real life situation that's going on. So the thing that I need to remember is that I have to be reasonable with myself. I have to do this all the time. This is certainly a skill I haven't mastered, but more than ever now, there's really very little wiggle room for me to become overwhelmed when there's so much of that going on outside my job. So what I'm saying is not that my job is not uh, important because, of course, I believe it's a very important job. But it is not the only thing in my life. And there are things outside of my profession right now that are bearing down. That is fear about the future, fear about money, fear about um, the health of my family and my loved ones. So I don't want my job to be a source of stress or certainly not an undue amount of stress. So we have so many concerns and fears that if we're not vigilant, they can sneak in and take over, effectively drowning out our joy. And so what I'm trying to do is just say to myself, make a nice lesson, Missy, <laughs> for these kids. Make sure they're singing. Make sure they're moving. Uh, make sure that you're putting a smile on their face. Make sure you're connecting with them every week. And if they don't do the lesson, don't take it personally. Families, as we know, are going through a tremendous amount of strain. And so another thing I need to do is not make things personal. So I'm not saying that you have to do this. I realize I may be coming off as preachy. What I'm trying to say is give yourself grace and give that same grace to others who are also going through things, um, some that you understand and some that you may not understand. And now that I've 
effectively depressed you, why don't we talk about the silver linings of this situation? There are many of them. For me, one thing is I have been so blessed to be with my family so much for so long. Don't get me wrong. We all want to throttle each other a couple of times a week, but we are getting some tremendous family time together. That's the silver lining. I asked teachers also to talk to me about the positives that have surprised them during this time. And I wanted to read those to you because I think these really set the tone uh, in a positive way to try to keep us focused on the good things that are happening. So one teacher wrote, I've loved getting to do individual and small group conferences with kids. It makes me feel like I can give them more attention and I can actually engage them more in some ways. And then the next teacher wrote, I've discovered that I love making videos for my school kids. I thought it would be a painful process, but it has been surprisingly natural for me. And then somebody agreed, ditto, not nearly as terrifying as I was expecting. Then somebody else wrote, I got emails from a couple of kids who I've never convinced to sing solo in class with videos of themselves singing. It's a medium that I never thought to utilize before. And then the next teacher wrote, I found out what a fantastic tool Flipgrid is. Last week, I used it for Arioso and asked students to sing about something in their house. Students who would use speaking voices and have maybe one word answers at school sang in great detail about their pets or baby brother or stuffed animals, etc. One little girl who refused all year to sing did a beautiful job. That's awesome. Then... A teacher wrote, I've discovered more about the students who have messaged me. Class is so quick paced normally. We have so much to get through and it has been really nice to have back and forth conversations with them that we weren't able to have before. And another teacher writes, I've learned how to use exit tickets and Google assessment forms. Game changer. And the next time I need to be out, I now have a full website to use instead of stressing out about subplans, right? Oh, that's the truth. Then a teacher wrote, I think some parents have realized how special what we do in music is, and they see how much joy it brings the little ones. Although I haven't gotten many emails, the ones that I have received from them are so wonderful. It's a new form of advocacy. They see how much I care about their kids. The next teacher wrote, I have an entire Google Classroom for music, art, PE, Spanish, and library, my school's specialty subjects. I know I'll maintain it and give my students access if they want to do music on days when they don't have specials or during long absences or emergency closures on weekends and summers. It's great. Another member of the page wrote, I have always been scared of Arioso, so I haven't done it with the kids yet. But this week, one of my Flipgrid assignment options was to sing me a song about three things you did today. One boy who can be behaviorally challenging sent me the most beautiful three-minute arioso about finding a thinking spot. He used that as a refrain and ended the song on dough. I'll definitely have the courage to formally start arioso when we go back to school. Winning! And then a teacher wrote, I've been able to involve my own kids, who are two and a half and six, in making the lesson plans and thusly the videos for my preschool students. They don't get general music with me as they aren't at my school. Also, introducing my kids to the materials I use, puppets, a glockenspiel, it's been a bit crazy, but good bonding for us and some extra instruction for them. 
The next teacher writes, we're going to be confused when we can't just hit the mute all button and everyone stops talking once we're all back together in one physical classroom. Seriously, though, I see these plans helping out a bunch in the future. Subplan days, days when my voice is shot, etc. It's also wonderful to see and hear students respond uninhibited by fear or anxiety and singing their hearts out. Two more things. I've learned how to do Google Slides, which will be a game changer, not just for subplans, but to keep myself organized and to always have the I can statement visible, since our district is big on this. Also, I'm incredibly camera shy, and I realized that there were some things that I would just have to do via video. I've forced myself to do them, but I'm proud to say that I overcame my phobia. Yay! Another teacher writes, I've connected curriculum, philosophy, and materials with hundreds of families in the last month. They're actually seeing somewhat firsthand what we do in music class. That's not been on the forefront of my mind in creating the lessons, but certainly an unintended positive outcome. Another teacher writes, Afternoon walks with my four and five-year-olds, getting to connect individually with my students, rather than always be in a group setting and the outpouring of support and appreciation from the parents. They're getting to see what we actually do in music and the value of music for their children on an emotional level. And now they are making music as a family. The next teacher shares, I started doing daily videos on my new teacher Facebook page to reach my students. Not only have my students responded positively, but I have reached homeschool kids, kids in other districts, and even some grown-ups who are enjoying my videos and singing along. I never dreamed it would have this sort of impact. I've been, hap I've been in happy tears more than once, or seven or eight times. Oh, and one of my students absolutely fell in love with Sammy the Snail, my favorite puppet who helps me sing, and his parents ordered him his very own Sammy and sent me a photo, and it is the most adorable thing ever. Another teacher shared, I've been able to dedicate some time to items on my to-do list that never would have gotten done, creating visuals for conversational solfege and ask me sheets for first steps in music. I also consider this an opportunity to think about what foundational skills are important to my young musicians and what musical independence they have and what needs to be built more. The next teacher wrote, I've always thought I would enjoy teaching from home or working from home or just being home. However, I wanted those times to be at home by myself. I envisioned that my children would be at school and my husband would be at work. But now I'm experiencing this blessing with all of us here. There are moments when my introverted self wants to run screaming for the shed in my backyard and lock myself in for the remainder of the time. But in general, I'm enjoying being at home and I'm enjoying the quality time with my family. I'm kind of dreading going back, quite honestly. I love my students and I love my job, but I wish that it could continue to be done from home. And then another teacher says, Most of my positives currently center around my private lessons. But that's only because I don't have enough feedback from my other students yet. For my private students, music lessons are the one constant thing that has carried into COVID life. Parents have said that lessons and seeing their teacher has been a highlight and mood changer midweek. For my general class, one parent who has reached out to me said her kids always sang the songs at home and taught their little sister, but it was really nice to see the scope of the workout and know what they did. And that with the song tale, that it was such a treat to hear you sing the way you do for the kids. 
I realize that it's true. The parents never hear the song tale from the teacher. I'm thinking I will definitely continue to make videos of the song tales for my families and also add lullabies. Just as we learn to read expressively by hearing expressive reading, we can help our parents to know what expressive singing sounds like so they can learn and sing for their kids. And then, I've been meaning to learn how to do a lot of these technology platforms that I now have lots of time to learn. And the next teacher wrote, I love having a ukulele tuning lesson with one of my kiddos who I haven't known very well until this year. She is so sweet and I've loved getting to see her blossom. After that, I've learned a lot of technology that I wanted to know but didn't have the energy or time before. I'm also finding that my weekends are my breaks, not just time to plan for the next week. The week has plenty of time now when you're not running around every day and my introvert daughter is going to take some online classes next year. This has been magical for her. She sings four hours a day and can still do her homework. And then another teacher wrote, I plan like it's year one of teaching again. The process of designing something that will work through a computer takes a very detailed and methodical approach that I haven't needed to take in many years. It makes me proud to put that much thought into it. Now that the parents are seeing their children partake in the actual lessons, I'm receiving lots of positive feedback and gratitude from them. And then the last comment that I got was, my favorite surprise has been hearing about families doing the music lessons together. Since lessons are all recorded, students can repeat them as often as they like. And I have to say, guys, so many of uh, the things that I'm hearing and reading here are just tremendous. I really wouldn't have predicted uh, all of this when I first started to think about what it means to do online teaching. So I just think that's so great that people articulated that and took the time to share. Thank you to uh, the teachers on the Facebook page who are willing to write uh, me things that are challenging and the things that have been a silver lining. I really appreciate that. And I just hope that everybody uh, will feel a sense of solidarity as we think about um, the challenges that we have faced and the challenges that we will face in the future. So just as a little addition to this episode, I figured since I'm stuck with four teenagers at home and we're all doing distance learning in one way or another, I thought it might be fun in this segment of the episode to listen to a little interview I did with two of the four teenagers that we have at home. I figured I might as well interview them uh, and give you one set of perspectives from students in the thick of this online learning. And since I have to deal with them, why don't I make you deal with them too? So enjoy this little interview with Jackson and Owen Strong. All right. Well, today we're welcoming on the podcast two of my four teenagers. We have Jackson Strong, who is 13 years old and in seventh grade. And we have Owen Strong, who just turned 17 this week during the quarantine and is a junior in high school. Boys, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. It's nice to have you here. Thank you for being willing to do this. Um, I want to talk to you about music, which is not surprising to you. We're going to be talking about your own music making 
in school and out of school and how things have changed since the quarantine. So first of all, we'll start with Jackson. Tell me about your primary instrument, like your number one instrument and other instruments that you play, uh, as well as ensembles that you're in, in school and out of school. My main instrument is cello because I actually take lessons in it and I started a long time ago when I was like seven or something. And I also do like playing drums. We recently got an electric drum set because we switched out with our acoustic one, which was loud. Yes. Um, and I also play a tiny bit of piano. I am in the Philadelphia Boys Choir and in the Audubon Junior High and Senior High Choir. Choirs. And also, what else do you do in the school? I also do, uh, do percussion in band. Yes. All right. And oh, and same question to you. Well, I am in the band and the choir for um, concert band, concert choir for um, for Audubon High School. And viola is my main instrument. I take lessons on that and have been for about 10 years. I play piano. I also play drums. I don't know. It, it's, they're fun. I play guitar. I play... I used to play in the marching bands for the high school also. I played mallets for that. And that's what I play in band as well. But I actually kind of stopped playing marching band because I'm in symphonia now, which is this pretty, not competitive, I guess, but it's it's pretty high end, I guess. Uh, high term, level. Yeah, in terms of um, youth orchestras. It's a, the Philadelphia Symphonia. This is my first year being in it, and hopefully I can be in it next year too. Yeah, so I'm in that. I'm in a couple different choirs as well. I was in the boys choir, used to be, and um, I'm in the all-south and all-state choirs and also the All South Orchestra, and that's pretty much it, I think. That's enough. Yeah. And what did you just get for your birthday? What did, oh, a mandolin. That's right. So you are like, Oh, I play ukulele, too. Yes, Sorry. I was just going to yes. say. You're like your father. You like to play lots of different instruments. Well, all of you guys are kind of like that. So now that we're in the quarantine, and you can't really go out and make music with your friends, what things have you guys been doing kind of independently to make music here at home? Well, I practice. I mean, I try to practice normally. First of all, it's a lot easier to manage my time because I try to practice two hours a day, But like my viola. But I also fool around on instruments a lot. And right. I, you probably have heard Jackson and <laughs> me and Jackson, uh, you know, jamming out, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, playing the guitar very loudly. The um, electric guitar. The electric guitar. guitar. Yeah, so things like that. But I also do, I'm trying my hand at composing that's uh also something and you just I'm, got that acapella um yes yeah that's fun uh just having fun with harmonies at least so far but yeah. uh yeah okay so those are the kinds of things you're doing mm-hmm. and listening to a lot of music oh definitely for sure i always do yeah uh what about you jackson i have been playing a lot more of my two instruments that i mostly play so i um i'm not learning drums but i'm like learning new kind of like techniques on it by watching videos of yeah. people doing it. Ah, the the ubiquitous, I learned this on YouTube mm. person. But you're having fun. That's what you do yeah. for fun. Yeah, you guys are getting famous for a post-dinner jam session. Oh, yeah? Which inevitably ends in mommy yelling at you to please stop. <laughs> because yeah. I can't take it. <laughs> um, even the electric drums have not... Yeah, even though you can use them with headphones, you can still use them with speakers. Yes, apparently 
they're using them with speakers is the preferred method. Well, otherwise you can't hear it. You could hear it if you put headphones on, but I guess that's for another part. Well, two people can't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what, kind of going back to all the ensembles that you do in school and outside of school, what things do you like about doing that? So maybe for Owen, this is more pointed to you because you've done it for longer, but why did you want to do things like why go into the band when you're a violist why uh, audition for the choir you know actually i don't know <laughs> well, well what it's compelled very you to do fun. that i mean you didn't you didn't join to try to play baseball and you didn't yeah you know you did want to play tennis um, yeah. but why those things in particular why more than just playing your viola I guess part of it is trying to get involved at the high school or to continue to stay involved, I guess, um, back like in, in my freshman year. It kind of just made sense to me to do that so I could, I mean, not that meeting new people is necessarily something I prioritize a lot, but it's just, I think more of it is that I like to play music in nearly any form that I can. Yeah. Um, so like with uh you know mallets and things like that in marching band it was very easy for me to pick up because i'm i don't like take lessons in piano or not anymore it's a similar way of playing i guess of making music on mallets and things so that's kind of what drew me to that and at least for a lot of the activities in audubon it's also the appeal of friends and like the social thing so like with like you know it's I mean, making music with friends is always really fun. I mean, unless the music is boring or something like that. But most <laughs> right. of the time, it's not. And, yeah, and you even joined the jazz band. Oh, yeah, the jazz band. Yeah, that's actually... We can't stop you. You're just yeah. joining every single... Yeah, jazz band is very good at, at for me, for trying to I, expand my pianic horizons. I don't think pianic is a word. I don't think pianic is a word either, but it sounds yeah. like it works there. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you impressed me with that because I did not know how that would turn out. And... I think it's really good for your ear also, but you seem to enjoy that. And what about you, Jackson? Why do all those things? Now, let's just state this from the outset. I made you join the choir at school. Yeah. And Um, also band, I was just received an email about it. And I was like, well, I... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But voice choir, I did join independently. Yeah. And why why did you want to be in it? Why did you stay in it? First of all, because it's really fun getting to experience, like, hanging out with other uh, singers and stuff that are, like, at the almost the same level as you. Yeah. And also, you get to go places where, like, no one has been, like, we've been to Carnegie Hall and Vietnam and stuff, and we right. were going to South Africa. Yes, you were headed for South Africa and Dubai for the trip this year, but it's postponed, not canceled. Completely. I just hope it's postponed to later in the summer, not, like, completely. No, I think it's postponed indefinitely for right now (laughs) which is safer for you yeah um okay so what are the things you miss now that you're not able to for example this morning this we're taping this on a saturday you still had to wake up early jackson and have an online rehearsal with the philadelphia boys choir and then owen you just finished yeah Was it a Zoom? It was a Zoom meeting. Rehearsal or meeting? It was a rehearsal. Actually, it had, uh, what's her name? Rachel Koo uh, from Philadelphia Orchestra. She was there. The oldest. Yeah, she was going to be our soloist for our Bartok concerto. That's one of the things Sinfonia is doing. Mm -hmm. That that was a Sinfonia Zoom rehearsal, I guess. Who was in the rehearsal? Uh, In Sinfonia, I'm in the chamber orchestra, and the 
Sinfonia Orchestra. So that was like the orchestra rehearsal. So it was just for So everybody. the whole orchestra. Was yeah, the whole okay. orchestra. And what did you do? In that we, time? well, we had a little, not meet and greet, but like we talked about the um, Bartok thing, the Bartok with uh, Rachel for the first half an hour or so. And then we were working on a little project for Sinfonia where basically we're recording ourselves and then we're going to send it in. They're going to be edited together. So it's kind of like a... We were kind of practicing that, and it's it's Ode to Joy, so it's something simple. So you weren't, like, you know, it wasn't like the conductor, Maestro, was, like, conducting you, and you were all playing? No, I mean, he was, like, talking to us for, like, the whole time, but um, he would, like, talk about different things, and then he would have different sections play, but, like, we can't really hear each other. So we were just you had, all like, muted? a backing track. Yeah, we were all muted. Yeah. yeah. That's... How did you find that? It was interesting. It was a, it actually kind of reminded me how I I do actually miss Sinfonia and going to the rehearsals. I I always have a blast there. The music is just so incredible with all the I mean there's like a 100 teens I guess right. um there but just like the level of skill that th- they have and I guess to an extent I have it is very it's just really cool to be able to do that and you know I hadn't you know engaged in something like that in a while. So um even just like I know it was just it was just hearing myself and like the backing track, but it just like reminded me that I was like that's something that could have been going on right now, but you know. Right. And how do you think that experience compares to being sitting with the full orchestra? I mean, obviously yeah. it's much different. Yes. It's oh yeah, no, it's definitely not the same at all. Like we're still there, I guess, in the in the Zoom meeting. I was gonna say we can't talk to each other, not that we would talk to each other in the orchestra a whole lot. No, I understand what you But mean. you know, it's it's just a different thing to be artificially connected i guess it's not really it's not the same kind of connection as when you're when you can actually you know play the play the piece sure sure and jackson you've been doing i would say a lot more online rehearsals because jeff smith who's the director of the philadelphia boys choir he started them pretty quickly and you guys have been doing them sometimes twice a week why don't you talk a little bit about how how jeff handles a rehearsal Mostly, uh, we we all have to mute because uh, and who's there? I'm sorry to interrupt. Like who comes to the rehearsal? Mostly we just do sessionals. Like uh, today, I figured out my rehearsal is later than I thought, so that was a bonus. bummer. Um, but he, he usually does sopranos at like a certain time, and then altos. Okay, but and the you're re- an alto. Yeah, the rehearsals are a lot shorter now because like these Saturday rehearsals was supposed to be three hours long. Right, but now they're like. Maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. So they're not as bad as real rehearsals. <laughs> you mean they're not as awesome. They're not as <laughs> awesome. As <laughs> what you mean to say is they're shorter yeah. than they're what you're shorter used to. Than what I'm used to. Um, and what do you do? How, so you come in and you mute right away. Well, Jeff actually mutes us. Okay. Yes, so, yeah, so Jeff. Then, so he can control us. Mm. I'm all about the adults controlling the kids, so. That's smart. Because I'm pretty, a lot of the kids aren't singing. Like, he's doing this thing where he unmutes people randomly, which I think is kind of cool. Oh. And then a lot of the times they're not singing. And I'm like, busted. Like the Spanish yeah. Inquisition. <laughs> That's what I always think. So everybody has to be singing even though you're on mute. Yeah. So what is it like that doing this kind of rehearsal? It does, uh, yeah, it does feel pretty weird doing it instead of instead of a giant hall you're just inside the office singing by yourself and right. i do like how he does play the piano with it so you can't get lost yeah that's nice what do you miss about being together yeah i do miss being together with like uh Justin Engelmeyer and everything 
Because uh, you don't really, because we start on time and end on time. I mean, sometimes we end early. But you don't really have time to chat. Uh, he, he leaves us unmuted at the end, but everyone is talking so loud yes. that you don't really <laughs> have a chance to I noticed to this anything. morning um, he left very quickly. Yeah. And I, yeah. I applaud yeah, he that. Just like... That's the thing. It's like when you have people, when you have, you know, like a hundred kids unmuted, oh. like if it's in a hall, you can talk. But right, like, right. It, that, just imagine it's kind of like the same thing as a hundred faces that are <laughs> right. like around your right. head. Right around you within yeah. three feet of you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even in my online classes two kids talking at once just feels cacophonous to me but in jackson's practice today when jeff said okay i'm gonna you know unmute everyone for a couple minutes so you can chat it was just like this raucous you know and they were just talking um but i noticed like some of the kids were like shouting to be heard because they knew so it was like okay i'll see you before night yeah they were a lot of them were saying you want to play squads after (laughs) which is nice i mean that you know they want to hang out so You've been now for a few weeks out of your high school and junior high choirs and bands. Why don't you tell us what your um, band teacher, who's Mr. Deloach, and your choir teacher, who's Mrs. Swinney, um, have been doing, Owen? So pretty much everything on in, in like, like Audubon things like that have just moved to Google Classroom. So we've had both uh, choir and band teachers have made a Google Classroom, and they post things they're both pretty similar in like how they do things like mrs swinney will post like a song at the beginning of the week and like all these different parts and then she'll basically just tell us to just like go over it you know on your own time so it's not like daily choir rehearsals sure. like it would be but so it's is still it that, something I'm and sorry. it's similar for band yeah so th- is it that she's giving you just kind of and mr deloach like giving you here are things you can work on throughout the week you're not meeting live with her regularly yeah no it's not like a regular live thing it's not live rehearsal live rehearsal yes and what what do you think jackson how are you liking and let's be honest are you two doing the music assignments i listen to this stuff yeah i do listen to it but it's definitely not as much well also i feel that at least for me the choir and band stuff is really easy so not that i shouldn't go over it at all but at least for me specifically, and I would just probably assume Jackson. It's nothing difficult for us. <laughs> so what I need to do is call them and tell them to give you harder stuff. Yes. Well. <laughs> no, but you are doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's like just hard less to practice. To like, yeah, I'm gl- I'm really glad that I have a drum set to practice on. But like, I play timpani a lot. Yeah. But since the toms on a drum set are reversed, or the timpanis are reversed, are reversed to the toms on a drum set, it's hard because you have to. You have to like make a kit that has the toms reversed, so you can actually play it. Also, I don't have a music stand, so. But and I, I feel like... like there are ways around that, Jackson. We have music stands in our home. I can't find any. <laughs> you have one... one right there. Yeah. Well, Dad brought that one in, but. I'm looking at it. Well, I think Jackson is a little bit more. I would guess he. Not everybody is doing everything for band and choir. Definitely. Yeah, I'm not gonna say, really? but. Yeah, no, like, I, I feel like for percussion, I don't think everybody has um, drum sets. Sure. I feel like some people probably do, actually, like, I know Sean Lenny does, but he's not in junior high. So much name dropping. Yeah, no, well, no, Sean Lenny's a cool guy. Yeah, no, I just, Jackson is a little bit of a unique situation in terms of that, because I don't think a lot of kids have electronic drum sets that they can program to play timpani on and things like that. Okay, so let me ask this question again, then. 
how do you feel about doing your choir and your band stuff at home versus being there? Well, at home, if you make a mistake, you can't really tell that you made it because we don't have our choir folders, so we can't look really look oh. over the music. Uh, so if you make a mistake, you just gotta you just gotta keep doing it over and over until mm. you know you have it right. So that's kind of the problem. So it's not as helpful as real choir rehearsal. Right, being day. there because you have rehearsal every single day yeah. at 7:20 a.m. Mm. Crazy. You guys are amazing. Um, I'm going to tell you something that, you know, in this situation we've learned, right, that things are changing all the time and changing in ways that you never would have imagined. You know, in uh, December, somebody asked me about my trip to Thailand in April and, you know, did I think it would be affected by the coronavirus? And I was like, no, that's like four months away, five months away. Yeah. And so who who could have predicted, you know, and now we're in April and now I'm starting to get lots of questions about things in July, in August. So one thing I saw was the idea that potentially for some measure of time, there might not be musical ensembles meeting in real life. And I'm just curious, I'll start with you, Jackson. How does that make you feel? And you can be honest if you're like, you know, you don't care or (laughs) whatever. How does it make you feel to think, you know, it's one thing to feel like, okay, I have to do this for like three months, but I know, because I'll be honest, that's how I've been thinking. I can do this until June. And then we start up again in September. But now you're starting to hear this like little tiny voices saying, maybe we're not returning to school in September or October. And even if we do, maybe we cannot do choirs or bands because the amount of, to be quite honest, spit and water droplets going into the air is very high. Well, I do love being in the choir and I feel like all that music we would kind of learn would be for nothing if we didn't do the concerts. Because hmm. uh, Jeff was saying that if things don't clear up, we're going to have to postpone the spring concert, which is like our biggest one. Yeah. And also he already said we're not performing it at the Kimmel. Which is like... Stinks. Yeah. But we are still doing it at like a huge church, he said. Right. Well, how do you feel about the concept of not having choir? Yeah, it is really bad because I really like choir. I've been in it for a while now. Yeah. All right. What about you, O? Yeah, no, I... I, It's... As you've made clear, it's, it's unprecedented, this whole thing. So, like, to have that being canceled... Um, and that that would affect my senior year, and um, which I would be going into this fall. With the activities that I would normally be in being canceled, that would really stink for me in my last year of high school to not have that with like the comparison being like if prom was canceled for pretty much every high school right this year. So like all the seniors are very sad and... You know, it's like it's something similar for that for a musician for all these events to be canceled, like with Allstate and other just, you know, even just normal choirs being canceled. I don't know. It would just I would not like that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I don't even know what to say. You yeah. know, like if because I've been starting to think about that. What does that look like for my students? You know, no choir, no band. That's kind of an eventuality that I can't quite conceive and I certainly don't think would be permanent but hopefully if 
well, first of all, hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully we return to school and we figure out ways to, you know, handle it. And, uh, but let's say we do have to put off doing things for a while. You know, hopefully we could just have that same mindset that we have now, which is this is kind of a temporary thing and we'll get through it. So my second born and my fourth born child, thank you both for being willing to talk. Thank you for not cracking any dumb out loud jokes. Although Jackson has been gesticulating wildly throughout the interview. <laughs> well, I love you both. I'm thankful that you're willing to do this and who knows what will be happening next year. Thanks for being here. You're sure. welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here at your house that you're not allowed to leave. But thank you for being here at the dining room table. Aww. <laughs> You're welcome back anytime. Like probably in an hour for dinner. Ooh. Thank you, Jackson and Owen, for being willing to talk, even though you didn't really have a choice. <laughs> On this last Ask Me Anything of season two of the podcast, uh, we have a question from Stefan from Minneapolis. He says, first, thanks for the work you've put into the podcast. I appreciate listening to a well-thought-out, substantive elementary music podcast. It always gets me thinking about my sequence and practice. Stefan, you're welcome, and I am very happy to hear that. Anyway, he says, I just finished listening to the Conversational Solfege in the Real World episode, which had tons of great stuff in it. My district has a very robust teacher-written Kodai-ORF blended curriculum structured around the prepare, present, practice, prove model from the Kodai method. While I don't use CS as a curriculum, I certainly have been referencing its structure as a resource in my planning, and I appreciate the 12-step sequence. My question is specifically related to the present phase of the Kodai sequence. As it relates to CS, does Dr. Feyerabend promote using prep language, like the current Kodai methodology, high and low, becoming soul, me, etc., or does conversational solfest just dive right into using the official language? In trying to reconcile CS with the methodologies I've been trained in, this was one point that I've been wrestling with. So thank you for that question, Stefan, and I want to tell you that for me personally, I had my come to John experience from a music learning theory background. So I often feel out of my depth talking about the more traditional Kodai approach, although I'm getting better at it. But I believe that John would simply say that he does not encourage prep language prior to solfege instruction as Kodai does. So a CS teacher, when beginning literacy instruction, teaches musical vocabulary, rhythm, and tonal syllables. These syllables are the musical language that students are learning to speak, read, and write. So traditional Kodai concepts such as high and low and fast and slow, those are theory concepts that ask students to analyze the language, in other words, grammar, rather than simply having them become fluent with the syllables, i.e. musical language. So John doesn't talk about the tones and rhythms until the upper elementary years. I took your question to famed teacher trainer, Lindsay Jackson, who I consider to be incredibly knowledgeable about 
the traditional Kodai approach for some more elaboration. She explained that Kodai teachers really hone in on the salient characteristics of the specific musical element they're presenting. That's the whole point of the guided questions that these Kodai teachers ask as they take students through the later part of the preparation stage. They present syllables, uh, notation, and writing all at the same time. A conversational solfege teacher in step two of CS goes right into presenting syllables and patterns without an introduction or description. And even as students decode in step three, that teacher isn't going to ask specific guiding questions to try and get the students to ID and name things. They just want students doing these things. The most, quote, presenting, end quote, a conversational soulfish teacher does might be something like, we have a new syllable called soul that we've been singing in our patterns. And then in later steps, like six through 12, which are the reading and writing steps, you would eventually call attention to its position on the staff. So where the Kodai teacher presents things all at the same time, a conversational solfege teacher uses steps two, six, and nine to separate out the presentation of each specific element. That was a lot, but I hope it helps clarify things a bit for you. If anyone else out there has any question you'd like me to try and answer for next season, please send it or any other questions and comments to tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. As always, I would love to interact with you on our podcast social media platforms on Facebook at the Tuneful Beatful Artful Music Teacher, on Twitter at TBA Music Teacher, or on Instagram at the Tuneful Beatful Artful Teacher, or even on my own Twitter page at DocStrong26, so D-O-C, Strong, and the number 26. Thank you to the Fire Island Association for Music Education, who helps support this podcast. I hope you'll consider becoming a member, because every month we continue to add fantastic content, and the last month's of this school year are going to be great. So visit org for more information. If you want to learn more about Dr. Fireobin and his programs and resources, head over to giamusic.com slash And of course, our Fireobin Fundamentals page on Facebook, where we have a community of 11,000 teachers talking every day about what it means and what it is like to teach music. The Tuneful Beatful Artful Music Teacher podcast is edited and engineered by my phenomenally talented husband, Jeremy. Our theme music, which was arranged by Jeremy, is played by one of today's guests, Owen Strong. My name is Missy Strong, and I am the host and executive producer of the podcast. And I want to thank you so very much for spending the past season here with me. Though it's sometimes labor-intensive... Meeting so many of you at state conferences, courses, workshops, and online and hearing that you find the podcast encouraging and thought-provoking and helpful is incredibly encouraging to me. I hope to be here with you again in the fall. And until then, keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world.